Hello, and welcome to Fintech Surge Podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities through fintech innovations in the Middle East for the Middle East. Powered by Fintech Surge, the region's leading fintech festival, hosted by the World Trade Center alongside Jitex Global. And we're joined today by Nadia edwards Dashti, Chief Customer Officer of Harrington Star. Thanks for joining us, Nadia. Thank you for having me. Excited for the conversation. Great. And I think I mispronounced your name again. It's Nadia, right? Uh, you know what? You got it really good. And the surname, <laughs> you got the Edwards Dashti really good as well, which not many people get. So um, I'm, all, I'm all happy with that. Well, there you go. The hours of practicing uh, paid off at the end of yeah. the day. <laughs> so um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, you know, so you, you mentioned that you're, uh, you know, the chief customer officer, which I don't think that many organizations necessarily have a chief customer officer. So uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the, you know, what Harrington Star is and what does the chief customer officer do? Yeah, love that question. And you're so right that that, that isn't a a common title. Um, and the reason why we chose that title, I'm going to get to. But let me talk about you know who who we are and why we founded Harrington Star back in 2010. So we are a recruitment business that back in 2010 we set it up to place technology and sales staff into the financial services sector. The four of us that set up the business, we'd all worked within this area since probably to like the early two two thousands. Um, me, I started in recruitment in, in 2005, and what we wanted to do was to build a company that doesn't just approach their customers, so their candidates, their potential candidates, their their clients, their companies that are potentially looking to grow, only when they're looking, they're looking to hire or looking to looking for their next role. But instead, we wanted to approach these people from a community aspect. Um, so you will recognize this, right? Everyone says now that they are um, a thought leader. Like this, this phrase, thought leadership, is really overused. But back in 2010, we never wanted to be the thought leaders. What we wanted to be was build a platform to allow thought leaders to communicate on. Um, and we think that we've done a really good job at that because we produce three magazines a year celebrating different companies across the financial services sector. So fintech, I, as you can imagine, over the past few years has been a huge, huge part of that. But we still work with more traditional financial institutions as well. But we celebrate businesses for the good things that they're doing, especially with regards to their people strategy what they are doing to take on new staff, to invest in their current staff, to grow their current staff. Um, and we're really passionate as a recruitment partner to so many different companies that we're not just there to identify new members of staff, but we're there to ensure that the people that join your business are there for the long haul um, because you are looking after them in an appropriate way. So when, when we decided um, a couple of years ago to change my role focus, Chief Customer Officer was the only title for me because, you know, I had for the past 10 years been very much on the people management side of things as we've grown the business to over 50 members of staff. Um, and actually what we wanted to do is we wanted to flip um, recruitment and the normal recruitment set up on its head. And rather than the most senior people in the business being the most hidden people in the business, we wanted, myself and my CEO, Toby Babb, we wanted to get ourselves 
out to the marketplace and solve some of the biggest people problems that the entire marketplace faces. And that is why my title ended up being not chief revenue, not chief client, but instead chief customer officer, because it's all about ensuring that we are adding value to our customer base and allowing that that base to grow. So um, I hope that gives you a good uh, intro into who we are, what we do and why my title is what it is. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess, you know, really it comes down to also just making, you know, human resources a part of the company's actual strategy. You know, a lot of times I think human resources tends to be, you know, sort of an administrative role is a recruitment role just to fill in gaps in resources. But, you know, it seems like, you know, you guys at uh, Harrington Star are actually, you know, making it part of the business strategy as a whole. Totally, totally. And I think it really should be. And a lot of the Sorry, I should have switched off my Slack. I'm so sorry. Um, and I think a lot of the issues that people face when they're growing their businesses, especially with these scale-ups across the fintech community, is um, people issues. How can they grow to the, the rate and pace that they want to grow at? How can they retain all those members of staff? How can they invest in those members of staff? How can they allow them to grow? So for us, recruitment isn't just filling a gap it's thinking about why those gaps are there in the first place and how you can ensure that you are supporting people long term within your business that is not to say that everyone's going to stay at one company forever however what it is to say is that somebody's going to grow within that business so i'm a massive advocate for the people focus of things so that when i when i go to industry events and people are demoing their new products and when there are new fintechs coming on the scene that are going to be the next unicorn that's all really exciting but for that all to work you need the right people behind you to make that happen and that's the business that we're in yeah of course and and so when we talk about the you know the companies that have people problems versus the companies that you know seem to have avoided that somehow um or maybe they just managed it a little bit better but is there any certain trends that you've noticed that you're, you're probably seeing over and over again when it comes to company and people problems and something that they can sort of tweak very easily and all of a sudden a lot of their problems go away um yeah really really good question i love that so I think everyone's going to have people problems because, you know, and I don't even want to call it people problems. I think everyone needs to focus on their people and they can't just expect that to be something that looks after itself. I think the ones that focus on it in the right way, remember the individual and remember that individuals want different things. And that needs clear communication. That needs psychological safety within a business that someone is happy and feels confident, safe and free to be able to give that clear communication mm -hmm. um, to, to their team members, to their managers, whatever it may be. There's some interesting stats I want to share with you. Um, so we, we have always placed um, into the financial services sector and over the past 10 years, very much so into the fintech space within that. Um, and when I started in recruitment back in 2005, the average tenure of a technologist within this industry was three to four years. Nowadays, That's within the industry or within a company within the industry? Within a company within this industry. Okay, sure. Nowadays, that's 13 months. So wow. there is, a, we have a huge, huge problem in our staff retention. Now, I think this has got lots of impacts. So the impact is not only on that individual, because you look at an individual in technology and you think, well, how can they progress if they're only within this company for 13 months when some of these products and projects go on for much longer than that? 
Then on the other side of it is, is a company getting the best that they can out of an individual if they're not looking to support them and allow them to grow? Why can we not keep people in roles for more than the average of 13 months? Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we need to consider with that. There's been um, really interesting stuff that's happened around pay and people giving massive pay hikes to get the talent that they want rather than the talent they want to invest in. There's been lots of issues around um, individuals uh, not feeling that they can talk to their managers. And, you know, you the question you asked me was that is there any sort of insight that I can give? The one thing I would say that the companies that do the best at this, the best people strategy companies are the ones that talk to their people well and that their people can say, I feel like my opinion mattered in that product, project, whatever piece of work that they're working on, that they were listened to and not only listened to, that they were heard. Um, and this is really interesting. And the reason why I give you this as is, is my answer is because we've recently completed a survey across 8,000 members of staff within the fintech space. And this was one of the biggest bits of information that we got out of that survey because everyone thought if you're going to leave a company, it's because you want money. And this is what what 67% of those individuals said to us um, was that they wanted more say within their business. So that's a really fascinating insight. That's great. Just a little bit more ownership of what they're actually working on. And I guess even 13 months is over a year that you're working on a project. And if you haven't felt like you had any sort of opinion or ownership in that project, a year and one month is still a pretty long time to invest into something that you don't have any say in. Mm. Mm, absolutely. And so one of the things that I feel like you, you must hear all the time is it's a generational thing. Um, I'm sure the, the millennial conversation has come up quite a few times. Generation Z, uh, people, you know, they just want to hop from job to job. They, you know, they don't have any patience, any attention span. Um, they want instant gratification. What do you say to people that just feel like, you know, it's not the company's fault. It's the Generation Z or just not quite willing to you know slug it out and be part of the the team so look you can imagine many people say this right um mm-hmm. so i actually think that this is a mindset thing so in life any problems that you face it's really easy to go and blame a demographic or you know blame something else but you know as as a recruitment partner to so many many people within this industry i've been trained to think about what can i do to make things better and i do i do think that that yes, the generational issue is uh, contributes to this, but I don't think it's the only reason. And I do think that there's huge opportunity for us to get better, because if it is that the majority of your staff fits into the demographic that you've just described and they want new and different things, then surely we can offer that within our fintechs and within our financial institutions. Surely you can offer job moves within your business, because if you've chosen to invest in this one member of staff doing this one particular job, surely you want to keep them there longer because they're the right cultural fit to your business. So how about we move them internally if that is the the, the one problem that we're identifying? But actually, I think it's a bigger problem. I think um, I think the, the bigger issue here is about us really engaging in the fact that people matter to our businesses. The more series B, C, D funding that gets signed off, the more people we need to attract to this industry. And now I'm talking industry as a whole. If we keep hiring from each other's competitors, we're not bringing people into 
into the space. And we need to be bringing people into the space, providing a really good journey for them so they remain within the financial technology sector, the fintech world, rather than people leaving in the droves that they are. So regardless of what the demographic may be, it's a problem we all face. And, you know, we talk about um, the events that are being held um, across the year and across the globe for fintech and what's the theme for this year everyone's talking about collaboration and i believe that collaboration is very much linked to what we can do to not be talking about the war for talent but investing in talent and attracting talent to this industry that wants to stay within this industry that makes total sense and so i guess as, as you're talking i'm thinking about you know who are these people that are are such high value commodities that we we want to get into the fintech industry do you find that you know we find more uh, brilliant finance people trying to to break in and climb the ropes of the fintech space or is it more technology people that are developing an interest in finance and you know using their skills and technology to build new platforms um, so I'd say it's a mixture of both. So I do a lot of work going to UK universities to talk to students, not just tech students and not just financial students, but students of all, all sorts of degrees from law to geography to English about the potential of, of, of having a career within the fintech space. Um, you do naturally see um, a number of people who are focused in finance looking at the fintechs. Um, however, what we're working really hard on is how do we attract these individuals that are experienced in technology and, and show them that this world will include them, will invest in them, will nurture them, will allow them to grow. And this is a huge, huge focus of mine because this isn't just people at university, it's technologists from outside the financial services sector. How can we attract them into the sector? Because they can learn the business side of things. Um, we've been saying that for years. We've seen this happen quickly for years. But we're now in a position where there are so many more vacancies compared to people that can do the jobs. This is going to have to force behavioural differences and behavioural differences in the fintech management teams themselves. Like it's not necessarily the question of who wants to join us, who can we persuade to join us with the type of, of skill set that we believe we can transfer over. And I think that's really the focus of the moment. Absolutely. And and so we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, you know, the generational issues that, uh, you know, how do we attract certain generations? Um, there's another demographic that I believe that you're very passionate about as well, and that's women within fintech and i know that you have a book you know fintech women walk the talk you have a, a podcast series of your own the dei discussions and you also have uh, the 19 percent list so if we can kind of you know kind of go through those a little bit about you know what is the 19 percent list yeah sure let me let me talk you through that so in the uk today across all technology roles only 19 percent of them are filled by women um and, you know, that that is not a reflection of society at all. And there are many reasons for that. Um, when when fintechs and financial services firms are looking to hire technologists within their business, they will often um, give a often all the time, give a job description and ask someone to fit into the box that they've described. As someone who's worked within the talent space for nearly 20 years, I just think that's an archaic way of working. And yes, I, I will dare to say it. Um, 
I actually am looking to help businesses get rid of the majority of their job descriptions um, if they are written in the archaic way that they have been written. And actually what I'm looking to do is to turn people's eyes to looking at the individual's skill sets and what that skill set could become within their business. So rather than just looking at job descriptions and CVs, talking about potential and what somebody can learn. So my 19% list is basically giving a number of companies that have signed up to me that want to create opportunities. It gives them visibility of the female contingent or those who identify as female in the UK today that are looking for work within the space. So not necessarily when they're hiring, not necessarily when they've got their job description written out, but when these women or those who identify as women are looking for work. Um, and it's it has worked incredibly well. Um, it has stressed quite a few people out because the thought of getting rid of a job description is not what people have done before, but I say it all the time. FinTech is about challenging the status quo. Um, you know, whoever thought that we wouldn't need to rely on checks the way that we used to rely on checks sure, or, the, yeah. or the way that we go and get, you know, our mortgages or our credit ratings <laughs> when we move country, like, come on, if we can do that, we can do anything. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really passionate about trying to drive that change to drive a balance in visibility of, of who's actually out there. Absolutely. And I mean, as you're talking about, you know, all the things that fintech has changed just in everything that we do, like, I'm actually confident if I forget my wallet at home, I do not need to go back and get it. You know, yes, I don't need exactly. I don't need anything in there. I have my phone with me and I can pay, do whatever I need. Them. And, and pretty much I'm set even without my wallet. It's, it's almost mm. like just a, a piece of uh, clothing that I can carry around or not carry around. So, so when we talk about you know nineteen percent, you're saying of you know technologists are women. So that's one out of five. Is it because you know are we looking at the companies and saying why are you only hiring one out of five women? Or if we talk to five people, are only one or only nineteen percent of them going to be women that are interested in technology? So, so I guess it's a supplier demand kind of question. Is it yeah. that the companies are not hiring or is it that women just aren't that interested in finance and technology? So this is exactly what my book's about. So my book, Fintech Women Walk the Talk, um, is all about um, moving the needle for workplace gender equality. And this is not just for financial services, but actually the stuff that I learned in writing the book is, is good for any industry. And basically that book was... Um, in, within it, I quoted 118 people from the fintech world on what they thought was the answer to the question that you've just asked me. Like, why do we face this imbalance? But more importantly, how do we walk the talk? What can we do about it? And out of those 118 people, um, more than 100 of them identified as women. So I really went out to people who are senior, C-level individuals across the industry to ask, what can we do to make this better? And look, it is a supply and demand um, issue, but there's um, many things that we need to consider when we when we answer this question. Like um, at the moment in the UK, yes, between um, out of five people, only one will be, um, only one technologist will identify as female. What are we doing in our school systems, in our university educational systems that means that we, we are not bringing that talent through? And are we doing anything about that to change it? That's one issue. Another, another issue which is really, really important is that we are in the UK today losing technology staff. We're losing females at double the rate that we're losing males. So people leaving the technology industry altogether, it's double the rate on the female side. Why is that? What is wrong with our environments that A, women don't want to come and join it, and B, when they do, that they feel like they have to leave? Surely this isn't a 
oh, let's blame it on a demographic here or let's blame it on um, a certain age group. This is a problem that we need to solve should we grow at the rate that the fintech community wants to grow in the UK. Now, these stats are slightly different in other countries, um, but it's really worth having a look at within uh, wherever, whatever country you're based in and looking at what you can do to be better. So my book itself um, it celebrated so many different people from the industry because they're all doing different things to try and drive better environments, to not just um, in, enhance the belief that everyone will be included within this sector, but once you're here in the sector, you'll be supported, nurtured, invested in so that you can grow within the sector. Now, the reality is that there have been many, many people who identify as women who've worked within the fintech community that have felt that they have to leave. Um, for a number of different reasons. And the book itself aren't, uh, doesn't only raise awareness of what those reasons are, but then says this is what we can do to make it better. So some of the things that we can do to make it better will revolve around um, having DEI committees, having biased champions within the business, having clear communication, have, having um, a real review on how you fairly recognise people, how you fairly promote people and how fairly you pay people. That's amazing. And, and it's a really amazing stat that uh, you pretty much said half of women that are working in fintech are leaving fintech, correct? Or leaving their companies. So, um, so double the rate of men leaving. Double yeah. the rate of men, yeah. So, so I mean, it, it's really interesting. It almost seems like if we were able to create just an environment that retains women, then that 19% could easily double. Totally. Just just by retention, right? Uh, this is I mean, maybe... everything that I talk about. Absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, that's great, and and it's really interesting that we we know kind of is it a supplier demand? Well, evidently, when the supply comes in, we're still not able to keep them. And if we were able to keep them, then it would it would be a lot more even of a split. I mean, if we're talking double nineteen, that's thirty percent or thirty eight percent, which is a lot closer to half than nineteen is for sure. Mm, absolutely. And and so I guess you know one of the one of the questions is how how much better do you think the fintech space would be if this was a, a 50 50 split between men and women? Um. So I am super excited by that question because can <laughs> you imagine? Right. So in one of the presentations that I do, um, because a number of companies will invite me in to talk to their management team about. Um, how we can be more inclusive um, and what we need to do to do it. And one of my first slides is a picture of a pie chart, right? And I'm always like, look, see this pie chart. Imagine if a quarter of society is in charge of working out how we appeal to 100% of society. Like, like what? Like, why would we do that? How, <laughs> how can people who haven't had that lived experience try and be appealing to the masses? And right now, what is one of the key themes of the fintech community? It's reaching people that have never been reached before from a financial point of view. So surely we need those people that haven't been reached before to be part of the decision making so that we can then reach their communities. Um, and this to me is just so basic. And, and actually, it's, it's a big conversation in the diversity, equity and inclusion 
inclusion community because this sort of business case for inclusion people struggle with um but i am super clear on this especially within our world because our world is agile our world is about challenging the status quo and right now our world is about reaching customers that we've never been able to reach before so this to me is just totally in line with the inclusion movement so even though our stats are dire it's embarrassing our gender pay gap it's embarrassing all the other pay gaps that we have um but actually i think that we are in a really good position mission wise values wise to just scrap all of that erase that pay gap erase the recognition gap erase the pro promotion gap and actually focus on driving this entire industry to be reflective of society who are the people that we want to be appealing to for sure and, and as you're talking about you know the that women are leaving fintech at a double the pace of men it also makes me think that if we create environments that were better for women chances are they would also be better for men it wouldn't be worse for men and better for women only it would probably improve the working environment for everybody yeah yeah exactly and it's um you know some some of those sort of gender stereotypes i'm really trying to break down at the moment you know why do we accept that um, men, men can be direct. Um, men can be uh, clinical. Men, men can be angry, right? You know, and that's okay in the office. But you know, women to be to be angry. What what would we describe that female leader to be if if that's if that's the way that she behaved? We've got to challenge our own our own preconceptions of gender within society. And by the way, gender is the starting point. Anything, any conversation around inclusion is about including everybody. And yes, I do a lot of my work on the gender piece, but I've always been really open to the fact that gender is just my starting point. There is so much more that we need to do. And in my podcast series, I've got a number of different, um, different suites within it. So it's called FinTech with Nadia, the DEI discussions. But within that, I've got the women of FinTech the humans of fintech. Um, I have the talent surgery, so talking about investing in people and, and allowing them to grow and become their best potential. And then I've recently done a name change on one of my series. So it was it used to be called the maternity and paternity stories of fintech because okay. um, I, I mean, I, I got pregnant twice um, and had two babies in the pandemic and I didn't know how my oh, career wow. would be. So I started that <laughs> podcast and I wanted to hear from mums and dads on how the, how the hell you cope with babies and your career. And I learned a lot. But now I've changed the name of that to the families of fintech because you know what? It's not just about mum and dads uh, when it comes to babies and growing your growing your family. You know, there's carers that are involved in families. There's, there's your next door neighbours. There's your aunties, your uncles. There's the, the the men and women at the nurseries that raise, that raise your child. You know, it takes a village. So um, that's why I changed the name to the families of fintech. But all of these different names within my one series is because inclusion includes everybody. And there's so many different facets of that that we need to discuss and learn from. Of course, of course. And, and I really applaud you for, you know, trying to tackle inclusion in all the different facets of inclusion, whether it's racial inclusion, whether it's disability inclusion, whether it's gender inclusion, age inclusion. Um, you know, there, there's so many different, you know, sort of biases in the market that are against, you know, so many different demographics. Do you feel like, um, you know, you might be overwhelmed by doing this? Is it possible that maybe you 
you, know, you don't have let's say the the focus to to focus on so many different aspects and maybe you might have a stronger message in you know talking about one or two uh kind of inclusion topics you've totally hit the nail on the head and i promise <laughs> you like most days i feel totally overwhelmed by it but one of my biggest drivers is I spent the first 10 years of my career waiting for somebody else to do something about the gender imbalance within financial services technology and the gender imbalance within recruitment. Um, and I hit 10 years of my career and I looked around and I thought, well, they're, like, who else is going to do this? Like, it's if I don't get up and start driving change, who else is going to? And Actually, over the past sort of eight, nine years, I've seen some amazing people do amazing things. But I'm really proud of myself for giving giving this a go. And anything that I witness that I think is um, isn't right. I'm now not just a silent witness. I am an active individual in that in that battle, in that fight and in that raising of awareness. And there is no end to this. Um, but one thing I'm very open about is I do not I don't get it right all the time. Um, but you know what? I'm giving it a go. And when you put yourself out there and you say and you acknowledge I'm not getting it right all the time, but I am trying and I know I'm driving things forward. That really opens you up for trolls, for, um, you know, uh, quite high profile criticism. And you know what? I'm getting I'm, I'm getting stronger at receiving that criticism because all that I do is to try and open people's eyes to to being silent witnesses and to realizing they can't be that anymore and to having them become active in the inclusion movement. And every podcast I do, I know it affects people positively. So whatever criticism I do get, I say to myself, good, because I'm going to get better at this and it's going to allow other people to get better. So it's not easy at all. Um, and I do get overwhelmed, but someone's got to do it and we've all got to try. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the kind of things I've always found is probably very difficult for you know people fighting for inclusion is that from the men's side and from the women's side, I'm sure you have plenty of oppositions. You know, women saying, you know, I, I don't want the things that you're saying we should want. I don't want this sort of inclusion. I like that, you know, we have our things, they have their things. And then you have men saying we have our things, you have their things. And, and so, you know, even th there's probably so much from every side that has different opinions than what you have. And, and I imagine that some of the backlash uh, can be a little bit daunting when you just mm. kind of want to shake people and say, why don't you understand this is for your benefit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what I say when that happens? Like I've got quite good at, um, you know, it's, it's not about if one person doesn't like it and it's not good for them, actually, we've got to open their eyes that somebody else may need this and may want it. And they should be given the choice and a lot of a lot of work we do for inclusion is about giving people the choice you may not want to do it but someone else may want to and why shouldn't they have the same choice as other people in the world to have that that to me is what the basis of inclusion is about like giving people options and choices absolutely and if we're going to talk about you know um diversity you know diversity of opinion is also you know, a diversifying factor. And so people have the right to their own opinion. They have the right to, to disagree with what you think is the right thing to do. But if there's no sort of infrastructure to, to make things better for someone that wants something to be different, then that's not a choice at all. That's not diversity of opinion. That's diversity of opportunity. And, and that's something we should always try to, um, I guess, try to reduce. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so I know that you, you give a lot of talks at uh, um, a lot of events. You know, you have your podcast, you have your book. Uh, you're, you're very active and very vocal um, in this subject. What do you think is probably your best way of, you know, causing change in, in this environment? So um, my best way, uh, so I do it in lots of different ways, as, you, as you've um, mentioned. But actually, what I try and do is just reach every every person as an individual, just to get them to rethink the decisions they make um, and, and actually to, to help empower people to realise that this is for everybody. So, you know, we talk a lot about um, male allies in, in the um, in, in the gender equality movement. And a lot of the male allies that I talk to, they're like, oh, you sure, Nads? Can can like, is it my place, like, to actually say this? And I'm like, yes, like, to be a male ally, we need you to be active, vocal, open, calling things out. Um, and it's really, really fascinating that that once once you look at the positives here, there's lots of people that want to make a difference. That will that hearing me talk at an event will look around and say to themselves, right, I'm going to go back to my business and I'm going to have a look at exactly who we've promoted this year. And I'm going to make sure we didn't overlook somebody, you know, like that one action. Great. That means I have really made an impact. I'll be really happy with myself. Other actions is that, you know, people will listen to some of my talks and then go, right. I'm now going to put pressure on my CEO and find out what our gender pay gap is. I want to know or ethnicity pay gap or our sexuality pay gap. I want to know how we are paying people and if it's fair. Um, and of course, you won't know all the exact details, but the fact that you're going to a C-level member of staff and talking about this, that there'll be a roll-on effect to that. And that probably means that that will end up in an, in an ex-co agenda, which will mean that the C-level members of staff will be looking and saying to themselves, how have we got ourselves into this mess and how do we rectify it? Change. It's all about making change happen. For sure. And I mean, if you try to make these sort of changes happen or if you ask a certain question, chances are you're not the only one that wants to know the answers to it. Just yeah. because you're the only one asking the questions doesn't mean it's just for you. Yes, yeah, spot on. And you spoke a little bit about male allies, and I was actually you know, really looking forward to doing this podcast because it is a different uh, sort of format from our, our traditional podcast. A lot of times we're talking about companies and fintech innovation and how you know the future of fintech looks like. And so I, I was really excited to have an opportunity to talk about gender inclusion within the fintech space. But, but part of me was also hesitant as a male, I was. I thought, you know, is it is it my place to to have this podcast? Is it is it really my job to say, as the male, where you know we're taking up eighty percent of fintech space, to ask you, you, you know, your nineteen percenters, um, you know, it, am I in the position to have this conversation, or am I sort of being like a male savior, a white knight situation? No, you get involved. And this is what I always say to people, like the more of us involved in inclusion, the better, because inclusion is about including everyone. Right. Um, and the fact that you want to use your platform to raise awareness on this topic and to have your listeners just take a second and think, well, what can I go and do to my business to successfully strengthen my business? Because that is what my whole belief around inclusion is. Um, this to me is really powerful. And you know, the, the male allies and actually any ally, allies to the LGBTQ plus community, allies to different generations, allies to religious, um, religious minorities, really, really important that we all realize that, that we are an ally to somebody else should we decide to be and should we decide to be active one thing i would say 
So there's a difference between calling yourself an ally and being an ally. And being an ally is about being vocal, is about driving change. And when you see see inconsistencies, when you see discrimination, you do stuff about it. But um, also, when it comes to sort of igniting the passion in the allies, I think it's really about, it's not like nowadays, you don't have, you know, I hope you don't, but you don't have open, loud, crass misogyny, right? What you do have is you have passive discrimination, where someone is just overlooked because they didn't put their hand up or they they weren't loud enough. And actually, you have to work really hard to keep to keep things fair and balanced. And this is where I think people get a little bit stuck because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, for inclusion to work, you know, you've just got to be fair. But the system isn't weighted fairly. The system allows for certain demographics and certain people from certain backgrounds who talk a certain way to be able to be visible and seen and promoted and given a louder voice and backed. The system isn't set up for people of different different backgrounds, different demographics, different accents. Um, and this is why I think we all need to just sort of shake ourselves and have this awareness that we have to work harder than just saying, hey, I'm an ally and I will, I'll keep my eye out to make sure no, no one is uh, told to be quiet because they're of a certain demographic. So I think uh, it's beyond um, just the question of, you know, what, what can we do as allies? I think it's more like, let's be aware that the system is wrong and we all have a responsibility to work harder to balance the system out. For sure. And some of the things that you're mentioning, you know, I think that it would also help men, you know, that might not uh, have that lot of a voice, that might not have that big of a presence, that might not speak as fast, that might not be as authoritative in their tone. You know, the, these are not just things that we need to adjust so women can speak up or or people of different uh, diverse backgrounds can speak up in a, in a boardroom or in a meeting. I mean, everybody that would benefit from this would be somebody that has good ideas, has good opinions, is passionate about what they do, but that's just not their temperament. That's not the way that they speak. It would help men, it would help women. This is not us changing the way that we do things and look at things just so we can accommodate women. This has changed the way that we see and do things to accommodate everyone that might totally. have an opinion, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so I mean, what, uh, I mean, I know, I know the goal is change, and I, I believe that that's a, uh, you know, it's a very lofty sort of uh, undefined goal. So I'm sure, you know, whenever you're doing what you're doing and whenever you're getting this backlash, whenever you have those days that it just seems like, you know, people are just not quite getting the picture. What in the back of your head is like, when do you say that I've achieved my goal? I've I've done what I've set out to do. Is there ever a, a end game for you or is it always <laughs> going to be just on to the next? It's you now what it is on to the next, on to the next, because let's say we get gender sorted, right? What what does gender sorted look like? You know, like we, we really have to work hard at dismantling the system and rebuilding it in a way where we're all part of the rebuild, you know? Um, but but even then, you know, what what's next? Well, there's so much that we've got to get right here because there's so there's so much in society that we haven't got right so far. So it's a, a huge task. And this is why uh, one of the, the first things I say in my book, it's never about one person on one mission. It's about all of us on our own missions because we'll all witness different things. We'll all have different perspectives. And it's imagine if 
everybody in fintech right now decides that they are going to be aware of something that they don't think is fair and do something about it the possibilities are endless so this is this is why there's never an end point it's about us just on this road for continual improvement in the people strategy which will drive a much stronger fintech community a much more successful fintech community and one that can really do what it's set out to do and that is represent the masses well wow, that's that's uh that's so interesting because all i'm thinking about while you're saying this is that you must just really enjoy uh confrontation <laughs> you must enjoy that uh, you're <laughs> going to be in a constant fight without any sort of uh, opportunity to win that fight. You might, yeah. might have uh, a few you know, punches here and there, but uh, you're going to continue to fight a fight that uh, just has no, no end date. And uh, that must take a lot of endurance and um, obviously just passion for, for what it is that you do. Well, I, I grew up as a recruiter in 2005, uh, so <laughs> so yeah, I've I've had to go through a lot of um yeah a lot of of very difficult conflict, but it set me up to be able to really like be wedded to a mission that I know will make a big difference. So absolutely, and and so you know that you know this is the fintech surge podcast, and, and this podcast is really built around the fintech surge event that we're hosting at the Dubai World Trade Center alongside Jitex. Uh, global in October 10th through October 13th. And, you know, so at events like this, and I know that you mentioned before, Akal, that you, you've been to 2020, you've been to, to, to large events, especially around fintech and technology. We're talking about, you know, the largest event in the world is Jitex Global. You know, 100,000 uh, visitors are going to be there from investors to innovators to, you know, regulators and government authorities. Um, so so it is the people that you know should hear what it is that you're saying so if if you were to have a speaking opportunity at fintech surge what would you you know i don't know if you have a short answer to this but what would you say to women to help create space for women in fintech what would you say for men to be you know better allies and, and why it's important for them to you know create better environments for women in fintech and what would you say to women on an inv individual level to to work their way up through the space so i'm gonna have one central theme on this and that would be confidence so a lot of people talk to women in business about their confidence levels so they put them on mentoring courses training courses so that they can grow in their confidence now, actually, I take this to a whole nother level, and that is to talk to those male allies. We have a problem in society that is reflected within the financial services and fintech community. That is our confidence in women, in their ability to speak, in, in their ability to risk take, in their ability to project their opinion that may not be the same as everybody else's and probably won't be the same as everyone else's since they're largely the minority in the room. So actually, I will just give it a really short answer about confidence. Um, as women or those who identify as women, we have to work on our own confidence. As everybody else, we have to work on our confidence in somebody else projecting their opinion because the world of fintech is about learning. All of these events that I've been to this year and I've been to so, so many, we're all there to learn. Why are we there looking at someone's demo? Because we're, we're looking to learn about that demo. Why are we listening to a panel or a fireside or a keynote? Because we're looking to learn from that perspective, that opinion, and we're looking to learn so that we can strengthen ourselves and that we can get better. So let's all, from our own different angles, 
And the, the three questions that you just asked me, let's all focus on that confidence piece. Confidence in yourself, but also confidence in others when they are trying to project their opinion. That sounds great. And and definitely after this conversation, you know, going to FinTech Surge in October is definitely going to give me a new way to look at, uh, you know, what are we looking at whenever we see these exhibitors, we see these investors and the, these technology buyers, you know, I'll, I'll probably be seeing 19% only of women. And, uh, you know, is something that I'm going to definitely have a different perspective on as, you know, we're going about this entire show. So thank you so much for, for all of this insight. I really appreciate it. I hope that, uh, you know, our listeners are definitely going to think about, you know, how can we make a change? It's going to be some reflection, not just looking at their own organization, but looking at themselves as well and, and whether they've been, you know, allies to the cause or whether they might have, you know, unknowingly contributed to the problem. And so, you know, I really appreciate everything that you brought to this table today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for all the latest updates on FinTech in the Middle East and join the conversation over on our social channels. We look forward to seeing you at FinTech Surge in the Dubai World Trade Center from October 10th to October 13th. I'm Stephen Bess. And this has been the FinTech Surge podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities.